Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Outspoken with White and Jordan. 100% engagement. It's a total disrespect. Download, stand well back, listen. Jim White and Simon Jordan. I don't see that view. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. I'm Jim White, and today myself and Simon spoke about Pochettino's Chelsea after their second win on the bounce. Can they still make the top four? Liverpool formally requested the PGMOL hand over the VAR audio, and they have confirmed they will. But is this really what Liverpool meant by escalation? And we're joined by Times Radio business correspondent Dominic O'Connell on Sir Jim Ratcliffe now seeking to buy a minority stake in Manchester United. Have the Glazers won the day? This is Outspoken with White and Jordan. Two quick-fire goals. See Chelsea beat Fulham 2-0. Do you think things are beginning to look rosy at Stamford Bridge once more? Do you think Bully will be like, good, we're turning a corner? I think rosy would be over over egg in the pudding I think the fact that they've got a series of results is building blocks I mean they they have been clunky and dysfunctional and nothing like resembling a coherent side yeah but they still have created a plethora of chances they haven't had the ability to convert them if you look at the game against West Ham they they dominated certain parts of it if you look at the early game against Liverpool they were very much in that game so it's been as much about taking chances as it has been about the fact that the side hasn't been that great. They haven't conceded that many goals. They're not that far away. Of sure, course, sure. The, the, the fact that they've spent a billion pounds is what draws us, and it's Chelsea. Yeah. They'll be fine. Pochettino will be fine. Well, you say that, but it's taken time. So this is Chelsea's first Premier League win since August the 25th. Yeah. Chelsea have won a Premier League game against a side starting the day above them in the table for the first time since May 2021. Yeah. So it ends their 18-game winless run against teams above them in the competition. So, my goodness, Chelsea fans have been waiting long, long and hard for this moment. But they got there last night at Craven Cottage. And Pochettino echoed that. He said, look, we just need time. It's about maturity, adaptation... Uh, we need to understand that all young young people need time, need to settle. And I think when you arrive in a team that is not easy to, to settle because being honest, too many young players that arrive at a team that is, is not solid and is not the cherry of the cake. And they need also they need to add something to the to the team to build something important. Always is difficult, but I think it's about time. Is to have patience, 
is to, to trust on these these guys and this young talented player. It's about to build their confidence. It's a step by step, but very short steps. Sometimes people is have not the patience, and it's, for us, it's about to be patient. Even when we losing and we didn't win from the beginning of the season, we were calm and keep the belief and, and being positive. And now that we won two games in the last few days, I think it's important to keep calm. Yeah, he's, he sounds positive and no surprise in that. Winning last night. Simon, we're just into October. Eight points adrift of top four. You said they'll get there. They've got time to get there, yeah. haven't they? Well, I mean, how far behind were Manchester City? at one point during the season to Arsenal when Arsenal were running away of the league. It's very early doors. I mean, <laughs> Pochettino is a decent manager, he's a very good manager, and he's a, he's a top-four manager, so I expect him to produce a top-four side. My argument has always been that he's not going to win you the league. But right now, in stepping stone terminologies, he is building a side. If, if it, Last week we were running the narrative that he's under pressure. That would be absolutely absurd. If, there's a, if a vociferous minority of Chelsea fans think it's right to hound out your manager after five or six games, then they don't deserve to be supporting a team. If they're a top four side, at whose expense are they a top four side? Well, that we'll see. Who drops out to let Chelsea from, in? What, from last season? Mm-hmm. Newcastle, I suspect. Really? Okay. Okay. The world's most dangerous download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Simon, it rumbles on. We know what happened at the weekend when Tottenham played Liverpool. Darren England was on VAR and his assistant Dan Cook thought the on-field decision when Luis Diaz scored was a goal when it actually was offside. So told the referee Simon Hooper that the check was complete and there and then the wheels come off because that mistakenly confirmed the offside decision should stand with Tottenham receiving a free kick. So Liverpool feeling extremely hard done by. And now we hear that Liverpool have formally requested that they are given the audio from the VAR room at Stockley Park. Is that what they meant by escalation, do you think, Simon? Um, I don't know what they meant by escalation. I mean, I think that they, in this instance... The better the transparency, the better it is for the PGMOL. Um, I think there is a, a huge mistake being made. Everybody knows it. No one's trying to deny it. No one's running away from that mistake. Howard Webb has come out straight away and said, and used terminology that probably hasn't been heard too often in conjunction with it, which is significant human error. And so no one's trying to run away from it. And if Liverpool want to ramp it up, I mean, let's not forget, the VAR was introduced into the Premier League because 20 Premier League clubs were happy for it to do so. VAR in its current guise, and and, and with different alternatives, whether it's artificial intelligence or whether it's automated offside controls, are voted on by the club. So the clubs have jurisdiction to some extent about what goes on with VAR in conjunction with central management at the Premier League. I don't know what they're seeking to achieve here. I don't know whether they're seeking to find a methodology to undermine certain aspects of VAR, put it back on the table and have a renegotiation about what VAR does, or simply they're playing to a gallery. But they're not going to achieve anything. I I agree with you, because other than saying, ah, so that's how you mess the whole thing up, what's it going to achieve? Well, I think that I actually do believe... I mean, I, I'm, I always struggle with the idea that we should have the understanding of every single thing that goes on. We must have this. We're entitled to this. Yeah. We should understand why this works this way rather than sometimes just accept that there's an authority, mistakes get made, and we move on. But in this instance, for the, for the well-being of the PGMOL, I think, and for Howard Webb's um, leadership, it is important that we understand 
in this instance, not as a blueprint, not as a methodology for every single time we don't like something, we get the opportunity to scrutinise it within an inch of its life. But in an instance like this, there can be no disadvantage to say, this is, this is what happened and how it happened. Because they've told us in principle... So what's the advantage? I mean, would it would it help rebuild trust between the clubs and the PGA? Well, I think, well? I think you know, like we often we often say, sunlight is the best disinfectant. A mistake has been made. Of course, nobody in football, nobody in other any other walk of life in football makes mistakes. But it's, yesterday you called Liverpool mixers in all of this. Well, I do think they're being mixers. Now I, you're saying it might help to well, release no, the audio. I, I understand the reality of why they want it. I think the language that they've used is ridiculous. Escalation and resolution. Okay, what do you what do you believe the resolution will be then? You've you've you, unfortunately that ship has sailed. The game has passed. You're not going to get it replayed. You're not going to get somebody done under sporting integrity because someone made a mistake. If you're looking for, they might well be trying to look at a glitch in the technical system to say that ultimately the obligations that VAR has and the contract that was entered into, to some shape or form, was breached by a failing in the tech. And they might be looking at that. They might be looking at a benefit of a discussion for others to benefit from, which is this is what really happened rather than what we're being told. Because really no one can quite understand how this would have happened. Right, We, right. we know that the referee has, that the VAR assistant referee has not paid attention to what's going on the pitch. Right, We know that he perceived the goal to be given as a goal and didn't realise that he was adjudicating on something completely different. Now, we yeah. can't fathom that. We also know that other people, as a matter of course, the moment that ball was put down and played on without a goal, everybody in the VAR room knew that was wrong. And no one was prepared to stick their head above the parapet and say the protocol that we have to be governed by in this instance isn't fit for purpose. We need to over, we need to uh, supersede it and come back with a different version and be prepared to break the protocol. So you, you think it's important that we, we should now hear how they messed it up? I don't think it's important. I think if Liverpool think it's important, it's their gift to ask for something. They're playing this in in, in the pub in in the court of public opinion, and I'm not entirely sure what it's going to achieve. But I'd like to think, for the purpose of the PGMOL to operate in a way I've been maintaining and campaigning, which is an irony for me, that there's a need for officialdom to be given a lot more latitude and a lot more respect. Now, my case falls on slightly infertile ground when they make these kind of mistakes. And what people do is clip and crop my observations about, you know, referees should be given more money. But they forget the context, which was basically being told that our referees are going to be pinched by Saudi Arabians and possibly if we invest in our refereeing fraternity, we might have more referees of a higher quality. Right. That was my point. You see, you can see what's happening here, Sam. There's Tom, an Arsenal fan. For God's sake, Liverpool, get over it. This is typical Liverpool. Fans of other clubs pointing the finger now at Liverpool saying they're droning on and on about this. Uh, there's Eric, uh, a, a fan, not a Liverpool fan, he says, but he says, surely the game's over. Get used to it. You lost the game. What happened happens. See, fans of other clubs are now saying to Liverpool fans, forget it. Well, that's fine. You don't need the audio. That's fine. But they think they do. And if they want to ask for it, then it's their gift to ask for it. It then becomes... Would the you ask for it? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I would. I do think that the explanation... I do think it's incumbent upon the PGMOL to be more upfront with this. I do think it's incumbent, and I would probably um, hasten to add, if I was looking at it and, and second-guessing, I would think probably Howard Webb wants to be quite transparent about it. Yeah. Why he isn't at this moment in time is for him to talk about. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. 
the single most important thing is to work in the channelized Bingbingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The world's most dangerous download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station. Talk sport. It's Jim White and Simon Jordan. Of course, almost inevitably, we return, as we have done, to the story of the proposed takeover. Is it ever going to happen? Of Manchester United. The Glazers still in situ at the top of the football club. We know about the Qatari bid. We know about the Sir Jim Ratcliffe bid. But now we hear this morning to a collective moaning and groaning from uh, Manchester United fans countrywide that Sir Jim Ratcliffe is now reportedly considering making an offer for a 25% stake in United that could leave the Glazer family in control of the football club. Um, Let's get more on this, Simon. Top business journalist Dominic O'Connell knows the workings of Ineos. He has interviewed Sir Jim Ratcliffe on numerous occasions. And he's a hard man to get a hold of, but we've got a hold of him. Dominic joins us live. Dominic, good morning to you. Um, good morning. Not that hard to get a hold of, surely. Oh, mate, you're a man in demand. Um, what is what is the strength or otherwise of this story? Is it now indeed true, Dominic, that Sir Jim is considering or will now only make an offer um, for a 25% stake in the club? Well, I have not had that directly confirmed from the Ineos camp, but uh, given it's being widely reported, I've I'm pretty sure it is true. And also, it's a logic. if you think about it, it's a logical extension of what's been happening with the bidding process so far. And that at first, it was it, the idea was that it would be a, a, the outright sale of the club. Then it was uh, an offer from Ratcliffe for a significant majority shareholding in the club. And now the next step, uh, it seems to be, is, a, is he will be a minority shareholder. And all this really is fueled by the delay as well, is fueled by what appears to be a lack of unanimity on the in the Glazer camp about what to do with Manchester United. Is it true that um, Sir Jim's original proposal uh, was 67% owned by the Glazers, but that he himself knew he would face significant legal challenges from the club's minority shareholders? 
the difficulty with this is the difficulty with bidding for Manchester United is that there are two types of shares. There's the B shares, which is the ones that the Glazer family hold, and they have almost all of the voting rights when it comes to the deciding the future direction of the company. And then there's the A shares, which are the ones that are quoted on the New York Stock Exchange. So any deal has to uh, get a hold of the B shares. Now, there's a complication on top of this, or a majority of the B shares. The complication on top of this is that the companies, um, what we would call the Articles of Association here in the UK, dictate that when the Glazers lose control of those B shares, they convert to the A shares. So you've got to do a very careful bit of corporate finance structuring to make sure that if you're buying those B shares, you also retain control of those voting rights. Otherwise, you're, you're paying a premium for control that you're not getting. So this, the, the detail and the structure of the deal would have, you know, is, is, is the killer. And the other thing about this 25% deal, what we don't know, and which really is, I think, the most important thing is, what is the subsequent deal? It, how does Ratcliffe then get from 25% to control? Because I don't think, uh, you know, knowing him a bit, that he is at all interested in taking a stake in Manchester United just to sit on the sidelines. Right. So what do you think is at play here, Simon? Oh, well, I think, I think this is exactly as Dominic has described it. Absolutely as he described it. And I think the interesting principle is that there's a, there's a perception in people's minds that don't really understand the dynamics of this deal, that the Glazers are a homogenous group in terms of that they're all aligned, and they're not. I would imagine that Avram and Joel are aligned in terms of being more bullish about the valuation of Manchester United and looking to bigger opportunities further down the line, whereas the other siblings, whether that's Darcy, whether that's Kevin, whether it's Edward or whoever it is, I think probably are the ones that are probably more um, in tune with the idea of a disposal. But Dominic has outlined it about the voting rights, about the restructuring, about the classification of how they revert to a certain voting perspective after they're sold. It is a very, very complex deal. Now, obviously, um, Jim Radcliffe has a modus operandi. He has been at the table for some time. I think he's paying a premium for Manchester United in today's marketplace, but for whatever reason he wants to do that, and however he wants to do it, and the engineering of it requires some very sophisticated thinking. Of course, once you're in the door and you have 25% of a business, you can start building the, 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 the motivation and the mentality of how you can acquire the other shares. But again, you're dealing with not a group that, as, as Dominic alluded to, that people assume are homogenized. It's not an homogenized group. There are, four, there are six siblings that probably, to some extent, have slightly different ideas. Am I in the right direction, Dominic, or going off on the wrong tier? Well, it's been pretty widely reported, and I've spoken to people at Ineos who, who pretty much confirm this, that Joel and Avram want to keep uh, in Manchester United. That's my point. Uh, but, but their siblings, Brian, Darcy, Edward and Kevin, they want to leave. Now, I, I suspect, that, you know, that there's been lots of deals done like this in the past, that that quarter percent, that 25% that, uh, stake will have... On top of it, some kind of derivatives contract, something like that, a put or a call option, which will, in essence, over time, give Ratcliffe the opportunity, the first call, to take majority ownership of the club. Um, Dominic, various questions coming in from United fans, and they want me to ask you, how would you assess Sir Jim's appetite, if you like? to get a hold of Manchester United. He get, what is the man like? You know him, we don't. He came in late for Chelsea. And of course, we know how that finished. Bully and uh, Iqbali got a hold of the football club. Um, here we are now, and it looks like it's going to be a minority stake if it's anything. What's his appetite in terms uh, of getting a, a say in the running of Manchester United? 
It, I well, I've spoken to him about it a few times, um, although probably four or five months ago now. And he is he is extremely keen to get hold of Manchester United. The other thing to remember about Jim Ratcliffe is he he doesn't like. A, he doesn't like losing, and B, he doesn't like doing business without the sense that there's going to be some gain at the end of it. So his view on Man U, as expressed to me, is that he sees it as one of the, well, he's expressed this publicly, isn't it? There's hardly any revelation. He sees it as one of the few clubs in the world that can cover its day-to-day operating costs from its own revenue, from the sale of merchandise and ticket sales and all that sort of stuff. And then if you invest on top of that, uh, you know, you, you should do well over the long term. But it will not be a continual drain on his coffers. That's what that's his view. And that in ten years' time or twenty years' time, when you know, it comes for the next stage in the ownership of Manchester United, he will make a profit on his investment. He's not in this to lose money, uh, but he does love Manchester United. That must be said. While we have you with us this morning, Dominic, um, it's reported that Sheikh Yassim, the Qatari bid remains intent on a 100% takeover. But it's becoming clearer that the Qatari offer remains well short of the Glazers' £6 billion valuation. Is that right? And is he dropping out the picture? I don't know. But um, assets have a price. And people's, people's view of the ownership of those assets can be uh, moved with price. Second guess it for me, Dominic. What's the end game here? How's this going to finish? Um, I don't know, really. I, I suspect the, the Glazers think that they can probably get more money out of this. They probably think that football club valuations at the moment are, if not plateaued, perhaps a little bit down, actually. TV rights deals have, have not you know continued to go up and up and up. It may be that they think playing a longer game would be better here. Uh, so, But Ratcliffe is very dogged in his pursuit. He knows the Glazers well. You know, He's had a, a lot of contact with them over the years, um, and, and he is keen. Just the other thing, that's in the back of my mind about all this is that and people haven't paid too much attention to is that Ratcliffe made it clear to me that even if he is successful in buying Manchester United there is no prospect of him coming back to the UK he is a he's a tax resident in Monaco he lives in Monaco and he's not you know so he will be a uh, you know a non-British uh, as a non-British resident, owner of Manchester United, which was something that the Manchester United fans did not like about the Glazers. So he would be a, 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 an absentee uh, landlord, if you like. We, we would not be seeing him at Old Trafford. Well, you, I think you would, because he can come to the UK for a certain number of days a year. <laughs> but but you know, this idea of the wealthy... Would be hands-on. Non-UK tax-paying... Oh, I think he'd definitely be hands-on. Right. Non-UK tax-paying um, person into British football. You know, that whole idea is, is sort of falling out of favour. But he's not going to come back just because he owns Man U. It seems that the two Glazer brothers that you mentioned seem hell-bent to, to remain at Manchester United, whether United fans like it or not, Dominic. Um, well, we don't know that for sure. I mean, the, t- if tomorrow it was announced that the club had been sold to Qatar for £8 billion, would you be that surprised? I don't think so. It, the, 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 nobody really knows what's going on apart from the fly on the wall of the uh, of the Glazer family dining room, I suspect. <laughs> have, you, have, you, have you followed the process, Dominic, in terms of their positioning? Obviously, the marketplace, the Rain Group saw an opportunity a while ago when the first indication... It's interesting that you talk about the television rights going in a certain direction because the perception is that the broadcast deals that are about to be happening uh, with the domestic rights are going to get bigger. 
and the overseas rights have gotten bigger as a matter of course and there are other revenue streams coming on 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 down the line so it would seem that that's not quite correct that the broadcast revenues around uh, the premier league are actually going to get bigger but when you look at the way that the glazers have put this into the marketplace how the rain group have positioned themselves in this mix what do you make of this whole process well, it's a fairly straightforward process, it seems to me. You, you, you want to sell something, you hire an advisor to sell it, like you hire an estate agent. All these deals are done with the, with the help of specialist investment banks, and Rain Group happens to have come. But you have an understanding of what you want, though, Dominic, don't you? And I've sold, I've sold businesses, and I look at it and go, well, I've got an indication of what I think this business is worth, and of course I'm going to push the envelope and try and get as much as I possibly can, but it seems to have been this moving feast from the get-go, that they've got all these different moving parts. No one's in agreement... You've got two sets of the two two parts of the Glazers family that are looking at a bigger value further down, and you're you're absolutely right. If if Qatar were prepared to pay eight billion now, they'd probably take it and write off. But the bottom line is, is the market isn't at that price. So it seems like a very disjointed process. It seems like an element of a fishing expedition to find out what the market would do. Well, well, I, I I totally agree. It could well just be a fishing expedition because it's well worth paying rain to get out and see what the, who yeah. can flush out the bidders and see if you get see if you get a different price. Uh, also, when you do have sales situations that drag on, it normally indicates that the that the selling side is not unified. The world's most dangerous download, outspoken with White and Jordan from the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. The National Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children, they have a Keeping Your Child Safe in Sport campaign and it is set to return. And one statistic that comes out of this is extremely alarming. More than one in four parents who attend their child's sports club or activity have seen or have experienced inappropriate behaviour. What does that include? Well, it includes shouting insults, intimidating or threatening behaviour or fights between parents, guardians, carers or children themselves. The head of the Child Protection in Sport Unit at the NSPCC is Michelle North. Michelle, thanks so much for joining us. Um, The statistic is an alarming one, Michelle, is it not? Yeah, it's incredibly alarming. We hear... um colloquially about sideline behaviour and this isn't just about team sports it's across all sport it's across all sport shouting insults uh intimidating or threatening behaviour intimidating or threatening behaviour towards whom towards the children themselves from adults it's across the board so it could be the opposing team it could be the coach it could be the officials and and often those are young people as well we're talking about grassroots sports where we are trying to encourage young people to develop a lifelong love of sport and these kind of behaviors are really impacting that enjoyment and whether people want to continue and i think that's part of the reason we want this campaign is i don't think people set out to do those things you know Sport by its nature is competitive and exciting. And I think it's just having a bit of time to think, is my behaviour making this match, training, event any better or am I impacting negatively? I mean, more than one in four parents, uh, this is what we're being told, Michelle. What's driving this? These kind of numbers, can you get to the bottom of it? 
I think it is just the nature of people not really understanding how to behave on the sideline and they take it from professional games and I'm not saying that should, that's acceptable either but they're seeing how things are happening at major events at football matches rugby like I say it's across the board mm. and then that's being replicated in in children's sports it's completely unacceptable and I think it's just about taking the time to think is this behaviour okay? We know it's impacting our young people really negatively. So it's just putting the mirror up really and asking people to take a breath and maybe behave differently. Simon, we, we've covered grassroots abuse on this show Indeed before. We, have. we heard Danny talk about it the other day, being being party to seeing a parent behaving in an inappropriate fashion, specifically in that instance towards an official. Very much so. And when, when you see the breakdown of the behaviour like Michelle is describing... Yep. Um, insults being traded yep. between parents but also at, at the kids yep. intimidating threatening behaviour fights between parents guardians carers children I mean this is distressing isn't it but I'm, I'm not entirely sure why we would be surprised disappointed because sport is a lightning rod for a valuable part of a child's development whether you're a winner in sport or you're a participator in sport. I think someone that plays sport always has um, the opportunity to develop a different side of their character. So sport now being turned into a potential negative. The society that we live in needs a better, often a better set of parenting and better actions from adults in it in terms of their influence over children. When we see the behaviour of our society, when we see gangs and we see the knife crime statistics, often behind that is parenting and the lack of parenting and parents not being involved. In this instance, what we've got as a part of it is adults behaving in a certain way, not yeah. because they don't know any better, yeah. but because they choose to behave in that way. And some of it is right. Some of, some, some of what's being said is right. Michelle is saying about the idea that the professional game needs to hold itself to a higher standard. But often it's just people choosing to behave in a certain way because that's what they think they can do. And the influence that we have over our children and the next generation that are going to look after us in our dotage is incredibly important and we don't have any right to impress negative things on children children are not an open book i'm not an idealist but i believe that sport should be a force for good not for adults to behave in a fashion that gives the children an opportunity to look at something that's an influence that has no positivity in it whatsoever well, yeah I, I noticed one one factor in all of this uh one standout line in this to me michelle is that almost one in five parents said no action had been taken to stop any of this uh, inappropriate behaviour. So to you, what does it need to happen here? Do we need self-policing? I think this is about understanding your sport and how that is structured. So reporting when you are finding these concerns or seeing, we're not asking people to to get involved unless they feel confident to challenge some of those behaviours. But, you know, we wouldn't want anyone to be at risk. But to report that through the sport mechanism around what are the code of conducts? Are they communicated with people? So people understand that there are certain acceptable behaviours and that those that aren't that fall out of that are going to be challenged and that there are sanctions related to that our fundamental reason for being here is to make sure that children stay safe in sport and but if people aren't made clear around those kind of rules and acceptable behaviors then that's where it goes unchallenged um, I have to say, most parents are there for positive reasons. They want their young person to do well. They're, you know, sport wouldn't happen at grassroots level without parents' involvement. They're often, you know, the coach, the physio, the taxi driver, all those things. So we are talking about 
um, a small number, but it's big enough that children are telling us it's having an impact and making them leave sport. Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Andy in Portsmouth, good, good afternoon. What's your experience of this? Uh, well, I'm a grassroots coach for under 15s team, and this weekend, funnily enough, it was the play safe weekend where we're supposed to be silent as such, let the kids play, encourage them. As it's um, We had two coaches and a player sent off on the opposing team, and last season, the same team had one of their coaches banned from, the, from all grassroots football for five years because he was well, two parents and him basically held down the linesman who was on the opposing team, headbutted him and basically beat him up. Now, you know, it's, it's, um, it was covered by the CPS. It was all done correctly. So he no longer can come to grassroots football. And I kind of agree with Simon as well, is that not only is it parenting, it's behavior breeds behavior as a coach. You should be encouraging. You should also be robust because you're coaching. You want kids to learn, but there, there has to be a level of, a resilience in the kids, but there is a level and there is a line, and that line is, yeah. I think, very blurred. But yeah. you, you can't. You've, you've got to be constructive with what you say, and it can't just be straight abuse. No. So, so Andy, these statistics don't really surprise you this lunchtime, do they? No, they don't. And the, the sad part is now. It and I, I know we like it, or we keep bringing up this the subject of rugby refereeing compared to uh, football refereeing. But if you watch, we watched. Uh, match of the day at the weekend and one of the one of the goals that was missed by whoever it was I can't remember what what game it was behind the goal the level of abuse from an opposing fan to that player was disgusting the the the, the words you could see being used the, yeah. the gestures yes it, you're you're breeding that but then again it's not that I'm saying it's right I completely disagree with it but like Simon's saying if the children aren't exposed to it to a degree then if they want to go into this kind of world of football, they're going to be very shocked when they when they face this kind of thing. Understood, it, not- understood. Yeah, Andy, very good call. Thanks for your time. Here's another Andy, this time in Southampton. What's your experience, Andy? Good afternoon, guys. Great show. Thank um, you, not, not often you hear this, but a guy from Southampton is going to agree with a guy from Portsmouth. <laughs> uh, yeah, well said. Um I've been working in the football industry and coaching industry for about 20 years now at a professional club as well. Now I've got my own business doing it. Um, I do think the FA has to take a lot of blame for this. Um, I watched a guy do a course online the other day for his level one, so he could be a grassroots football coach. But it was all online. There was four tutors on there that were just talking and helping out. There was 571 participants on it with the FA making about £93,000. Now, these coaches then go out and grass, uh, coach grassroots football, sorry, and half of them are absolutely brilliant and amazing, and half of them just want to win by 20, 30, 40, 50 goals, and the children are suffering through this. And this is at every age from under seven all the way up to my daughter plays at under 13s. I think the FA need to find a way that these coaches are monitored more and more and more on grassroots level because we watch it every Saturday at training and it's all about winning and winning and winning and the attitude from the coaches is going on to the parents and the parents do need to take a lot of responsibility for this because they are screaming. My daughter's game last Saturday, they were swearing at the opposition team to our team. Um, me this is, as a this parent, is parents. I encourage my daughter. Parents swearing. I encourage the other team as well. Yeah. This is parents swearing, Andy, is it? Oh, 100%. Yeah. At yeah. the kids. And at the kids in the teams. Well, yeah, but it's the, the, the parents are swearing at the other team, not their children's team. No, no. 
Andy, thanks for that. Frank's a Tottenham fan, I think in Norwich, but he he wants to to tell us his story. What have you got, Frank? Good afternoon, Jim. How are you? Good, thank you, mate. What's your experience of this? So I've coached an under eight. I'm now coaching under 15 team. Now you've got to see the big difference between under eight and under 15. And I totally agree with what Simon said about resilience and robustness. So I play at step five which is quite a good level of football. And the lads are looking to play under 18s football for the club I play with next year. And you've got to go and try and coach them kids from the nicey-nicey sort of terms of football as it is to now the mental side of if you want to pursue this as something higher, you need to learn the difference between being a... Well, I don't want to say a child because they are young lads, but there's a big difference between playing under 18s and under 15s. And I'm an ex-military man, so I'm quite disciplined. And I try and teach the lads that discipline, that that desire and that passion that I strive for to play at a high level that they need to bring across. And sometimes I feel like the parents are against that. So the way I shout to the kids sometimes or get my messages across can become, can be quite aggressive and can be quite abrupt. I wouldn't call it <laughs> abuse or anything like that, but sometimes they do need to hear what they're doing wrong. And there's a certain tone. To go. Right. And you, and you think you fall on the right, the right side of it. You, you, you try to yeah, fall on yeah, the right do, side yeah, of what you yeah. say. I yeah. do, but I do also think that some of the parents may be against that. And because I've, I've heard it before, one of the parents shouting, saying, oh, why is he talking about last week? They didn't do a warm-up. Maybe they don't need to do warm-ups every week. And I think they need to start <laughs> really thinking what they're teaching the kids by trying to be all nicey-nicey. And it's just a fun game because if they want to pursue it further next year, it's not going to be that sort of game. And, and, and I'm trying to get that across to the kids. And I think the parents are sometimes not, not with that. And it's okay. hard to coach. Frank, listen, thanks for your call. Um, the, the statistics are alarming and we're hearing a lot more about them. Uh, I think some parents have seriously got to have a look at themselves uh, and at their own behaviour when they show up at uh, their own child's sports club or sporting event. One in four who attend uh, their, their child's sports club or activity have seen or experienced inappropriate behaviour, shouting insults, intimidating, threatening behaviour or fights between parents themselves. Now, it's time to rein it in, isn't it? Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Please leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast from. We're back tomorrow to bring you the best of the show. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.